Hello, and welcome to the Christian Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, where we talk about anything and everything fantasy and science fiction. Your host is Matt Crosswhite, and the subject matter expert is Josiah Marshall. And here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Christian Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm the host, Matt Crosswhite, joined by subject matter expert, Josiah Marshall. Josiah, Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you as well. (laughs) Did you have a good New Year's? I did. So for our listeners, um, I am currently in Tucson, Arizona, visiting family. And they have a couple of stores down here in Tucson that we don't have in my local town of Prescott called Bookman's. So yesterday, Mr. Josiah was kind and gracious to give me nearly two hours of his time while I perused the fantasy and sci-fi section at this large used bookstore called Bookman's, telling me what authors to look at, what uh, knowing me as he does, we're, we're pretty darn good friends, so knowing me as he does, what... Um, types of fiction and fantasy and sci-fi I might I might most enjoy. So we had a good long conversation today and I'm excited to to jump in with you today sir on on um your top 3 sci-fi trilogies. But as we were trying to figure out three three trilogies we found that the sci-fi genre does not is not as devoted to the three book series as the fantasy. So, so right. t- your top three sci-fi series, whether they be trilogies or not. Well, um, this one was a little harder. Um, as I've mentioned before in a previous podcast, uh, I haven't read as much science fiction as I have fantasy. Um, however, that's not to say I haven't read some in what I have found to be a lot of fun. Um, and it's it's kind of hard to classify these three in, in which position I'd put them in, um, simply because they're they're all pretty decent. But um, hmm. if I was to start at my bottom, my number three, it would probably be The Lamb Among the Stars by Chris Wally, which is something I've actually mentioned before. Yes, um, it is. It uh, it takes place during it's post-apocalyptic in, in a sense because um, it takes place during the millennial reign of Jesus. And mm. uh, the entire story is about how, well, the, 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 basically the world building is, is that humanity is pushed out into the universe. They've been terraforming um, planets and uh, all of a sudden a forest ranger um, on a distant planet is coming to realize that there are changes coming about in people's behavior that he's has no experience with um and because he uh, chris wally believes that there is no sin during jesus's reign and so what would it look like towards the end of that reign when um the beast is being released from the abyss of uh sin coming back into the mind of humanity 
So it creates an interesting little paradox, to say the least. And um, but I will say that on, on a literary level, he does a pretty decent job of of um, creating a decent engine. Um, and uh, he also has um, a pretty good world building, especially in the sense that he's you've got the maps, of course, in the beginning of the book. So that helps you lay out everything in your head. Um, he also has character lists so you can read the, 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 the names of the characters and get to know them just a little bit from a basic overview. And so um, overall, he, he, he does some of the quintessential stuff, but he's still pretty good in what he's able to establish when it comes to how the world works, why the world works, what characters are doing, why they're doing it and so forth and their motivations behind it. And um, so, yeah, some of a lot of the basics are really there and he's done a, a reasonable job. Um, and as I mentioned before, that one is available both in hard copy as well as in um, digital. And um, I know you can get the digital on, uh, on, on, on Kindle, Amazon pretty easily. Mm. So Very nice. I just, as you were describing that, I, I don't know if this is in the book. I've not read them yet, but how extremely ironically disappointing it would be if you jumped into a starship of some kind and were traveling to a very, very distant planet mm -hmm. right as the millennial reign began and you're in cryo sleep and you missed the full thousand years of it by the time you arrive at your planet. <laughs> yeah, that'd be disappointing. Um, although they have, what was that called? Um, basically, it's their ver his version of a, of a warp drive or a star jump. They have a mm. they have a jump engine, and so um, that you can get get to different planets pretty quickly. And they've gotten yeah. the uh, science of terraforming down to a couple of decades, I think. I think it was, but um, but yeah. So things are a little sped up than that, but still, it's yeah. You get the scope. One of the things I was impressed with was the fact that it was just so large in scope. You really mm. felt like you were out in the distant boonies of the uh, universe felt like you were almost cut off from earth in a way and sure. um the more people start behaving the way they do the more troubles pop up and the more separated you feel from earth hmm. and i liked how he built on that he did that he built pretty well on that slowly but surely it was almost a steady burn on that one and uh so i yeah i i, I definitely recommend that series but it's definitely my number three it would definitely okay. be number three. So. Very good. Which begs the question, what is your number two? Uh, Stephen Lawhead's Empyrean. Um, so Stephen is not necessarily known for science fiction, right? He is right. a master fantasy author. And as I said before, he is, he's so dedicated to his craft that he moved to England because much of his lore is built on, if not directly uses, Arthurian mythos. And so um, as a result, he moved to England years ago so he could be closer wow. to these locations and the history and everything. So yeah, I, I'm really impressed with his dedication. But um, the, uh, the series that he, it was a two book series called Empyrean and uh, it, it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting because you've got um, a group traveling through a wormhole 
to get to a distant human colony. So it doesn't actually have any aliens in it. But then hmm. again, I don't recall even among the stars having aliens in it, but it definitely having a lot of spaceships and stuff like that. Um, sure. But with Imperion, it, it became an interesting little premise because he's looking at human civilization um, in contrast to what would be perceived as a very perfect world um, because the needless to say um, the, uh, the the when they go through the um, uh, the black hole the civilization on the other side time is working a little different and so it looks like it's been there even longer than it actually has um. and um, They've, they've managed to develop some things and they've lost communication um, in some ways, not all, but in some ways. And they know something's not go right going on there, um, at least hmm. the, the humans back on Earth. And so they actually send um, on a very expensive assignment, they send um, a guy um, named Orion Treat uh, to go looking into what's going on out there. And um, it's it's his journey of looking at this and being able to um, um, be able to figure out what's going on between two different settlements on this planet and how these settlements are creating conflict with each other. And, and, and he's definitely mm. building that against the backdrop of what would be perceived as a very beautiful world. Okay. So um, he's kind of an investigator of sorts, um, but uh, he 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 is he is basically um, on his own for the most part, and he's mm. he's needing to find his place in a growing animosity between these two colonies that that could very well lead to a civil war between the two. Um. And of course, there's rebels involved, and this this planet, um, they, there are domes on it um, that they live in, and the domes have created these hierarchies of, of this different stratas of society, and mm. um, they're looking at um, what basically two questions that you could really see coming out of the the first and even more the second book is that. Um, how resilient is the human spirit in the face of merciless oppression? Because that's what's going on within these domes. There's a great deal of oppression going on in some of the lower stratas. And then the second one is what values in life stand up to certain death? And so it's just really look when, when you when you've got the basic uh, approach to storytelling where you put a character up a tree and you try to see what their reaction is going to be. How are they going to respond to the situation? He does that. It's a very simple technique, but he does it in a very unique and I would say in, in, in invigorating way, because um, as I said, it doesn't involve aliens. So it's truly left to the human psyche and what the human human mind and heart want to do and will do. And so sure. um, it's, it's less metaphorical in that way because or allegorical, I should say, because a lot of science fiction, especially when you look at Star Trek and stuff, tends to be pretty allegorical. But um, with him, he's going very specific to straight to humans. and um, But he's mm -hmm. using a distant setting to be able to establish what he's wanting to look at. And um, 
Okay. Um, and they are still in print. Um, as a matter of fact, I learned recently that the the books are going to be um, republished. Really? Yeah. There, it's going to be what's known as the enhanced edition. Hmm. And so um, though the, the original cover art is actually pretty good. Um, I, I have the originals. It's because for me, when it comes to fantasy and science fiction stories, I definitely like having that on hand um, mm. in, in giving me more context of just what I'm able to attach to when I look at the book cover and I'm able to see something that I attach to in the book, then I can associate it with the cover and um, I can sure. use the cover as a way to just be that marker for me of, okay, this is something I really enjoyed there. Whereas with the new books, it's just the black hole on the front cover, um, which isn't bad. Don't get me wrong. That's on the first book. And then on the second book, it's a, it's a plan. It looks like a little crop piece of a planet, but um, still, I would definitely recommend these books. Uh, they are, um, they're now for the first time, they're actually out in hardcover the original series was only published in paperback but the new series the new printing of it has been put out in hardcover and the hardcover um actually includes a few things that were not in the originals uh, that includes uh, the uh, the unpublished original epigram and prologue that wasn't put in the first um it does have some rough draft facsimile pages um and it, <laughs> Lawhead, back in those days, you had limited, uh, you know, li limited technology. So he actually hand drew his map, and so they put oh, that wow. into the uh, the new new one. And um, there's even some uh, an interview with the author on writing and the themes of the book. And then there's um, a re, re redesigned interior. There's even a slipcase if you get the hardback cover. And so. Um, those are some really neat features of that republishing of the that edition. So, yeah, so that would be my easy number two. Which I think can probably leave most of our listening audience at a, at a pretty good guess at what comes in at number one. It's fairly well-known series, and you haven't mentioned it yet. So presumably this will be your number one, but go ahead and lay it on us. Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Tell us why. Well, for a few things. One, it was one of the first, it was the first Space Trilogy I ever read. Science Fiction Trilogy I ever read. <clears throat> it was also the first science fiction books I read. Um, and um, I, I read it when I was, well, let's see, I was, 12, 13 years old when I read these books. And I'll admit, even at that young age, they didn't make much sense to me. But as I got older, they, they started they started making a little more sense to me. Um, but that's not to say that there these are some of the it's interesting. These were uh, published back in 1938, but um, at least the first one was. But uh, over time, it's had a hit or miss um, on the list of favorites. Um, it, people love it. People don't love it because they start realizing that how much of apologetic apologist, excuse me, C.S. Lewis is. And so they, since they know he does a lot with Chronicles of Narnia, then they think, okay, what else could he do with space, right? 
But he does, in my opinion, he does a reasonably good job. Um, and uh, he's he's kind of looking at it from the, uh, I would almost put it in the War of the Worlds sort of vibe. Um, hmm. Because he is looking at um, Martians that uh, it come and abduct Dr. Ransom. And they take him back to what they call Malacandra, which we know as Mars. And um, they are dedicated to plundering planet Earth's treasures. And they actually plan to offer ransom as a sacrifice to the creatures who live there. So it's uh, <laughs> um, it's it's kind of a tr it's a tragedy story. Um, it is basically what we would be known in traditional sense of comedy. So it starts out fine and then it dips down into a very dark place and then comes back up um, into a happy ending, so to speak. But um, he, uh, he, he did a reasonable job, in my opinion, of incorporating um, planets with um, aliens and everything into a concept where he's able to look at humanity, especially in a very spiritual sense, and be able to analyze it in a way that's not too on the nose. So, yeah, if, if you allow yourself to just read it without getting into the minutia of, especially with the nuance of thinking that it's some sort of spiritual hyperbole, um, then you're able to just enjoy a reasonably decent story, especially when it comes to the first book. The second book, um, you, you, you do see the <laughs> um, you do see human weaknesses, temptation uh, really come into play um, on uh, with uh, Paralandra. Um, and uh, yeah, and you do have some of the basic questions such as will they be able to throw off the, the, the yoke of corruption and achieve a spiritual perfection as yet to, uh, unknown to man? But um, again, this is dealing with uh, the main character, Doctor Doctor Ransom. Mm. Uh, he's um, he's kind of he's kind of the it's kind of kind of sad the way that C.S. Lewis kind of uses Doctor Ransom in some ways because he really throws his, throws him into some very hard and lonely situations. Um, to where he just finds himself at a complete loss as to what is he going to draw on in order to be able to, to handle what he's experiencing. And, and, it, and in a sense, uh, I think you could even say the same thing was done with um, the uh, uh, Stephen Lawhead books because mm. um, they, they kind of do the same thing. What are you going to draw on? Um, what goodness are you going to be able to establish? So, but even with the third book, um, it is the, the, the Dr. Ransom is in the third book. However, he's not as much of the main character as is Mark and Jane Studdick. Um, they're newly married, married couple. Um, he's a sociologist who, um, is, enticed to join an our organization uh, called um, NICE, N-I-C-E, all abbreviated, but they uh, they aim to control all human life. 
And his wife starts having some interesting prophetic dreams about a decapitated scientist called Alcazan. And as um, Mark is drawn into the organization, he discovers the truth of his wife's dreams. And then eventually he meets the, the actual head of um, Al Alcazan, and which is being kept alive by an infusions of blood, which is not exactly enticing to think about but when you when you put this together say with um let's see uh, that was uh madeline la ingles books you you definitely get this more direct approach of using allegory in sure. in fantasy and so um the uh, uh the whole premise is definitely an attempt to look at human behavior, human psyche, human heart. Um, but uh, the the odd little—I don't know if I want to give this away. It's kind of an interesting little twist because C.S. Lewis draws on a certain mythos that he hasn't actually used before, and mm. um, so I, I'm going to leave that to the reader to discover. Because he's he's got an interesting little spin of the person he calls upon to um, uh, to confront the organization. Okay. So. <laughs> Excellent. So, listeners who want to find out about that can get a hold of the of C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Mm -hmm. Oh, and and just for uh, the the nice the NICE. As I said, it's abbreviated, so it's actually the full name is the National Institute for uh, Coordinated Experiments. Mm. So, doesn't yeah. sound very nice at all, right? But um, it it's very ominous in that telling. But uh, uh, it's it's interesting. So there is actually a seed in the beginning of the book to give you an idea of who ends up confronting the person later, because. Um, of the land that the organization sits on, so mm. it's got some it's got some fun little twists, and, and it, it, you know, despite the have, there are some good there are some almost heavy spiritual overtones, but it's still a, a decent little story. It's just it's fun, especially if you're able to really get into it. If if you find yourself getting upset about it stop reading it um sure but if if you can just not if you if you can turn off what i would call your internal critic then mm. this book along with some other series that most people would probably put closer to the bottom of the barrel um end up having a, a reasonable yeah i would say a reasonable um uh, story plot and one that just allows you to just enjoy the story and mm. give you a new spin. It may be a tired um, formula, template, but you know what? It, it's always nice to see that template in a new way. Absolutely. So, but yeah, that's actually the, ooh, it's not the oldest science fiction book out there, especially when it comes to quote unquote Christian but it, it's definitely there 
Um, and because I said the, the first one was published in 1938 and the last one was published in 1945. Uh, okay. So these were, these came out at a very unique time, honestly. Yes. Um, uh, they are still in print. They're still out there and, uh, they are in various formats. Um, there's even a, uh, Let's see. Christian Christian Audio has a audiobook series of it that could be considered a full cast read. Oh, excellent! Okay. Mm -hmm. With uh, I think if I remember right, I've actually had a few sound effects in it as well. So that one that one can be a lot of fun. Um, I've actually listened to it, and it, it is a lot of fun. And then of course you can get it in uh, paperback. Um, Trying to recall, I don't think you can get him in hardcover. Mm. I don't think. Now that that the thing is, is that publishing houses they can get interesting. So there are some publishing houses who work with hardback. Um, oh, that's right, because the the very first edition is hardback. That's right. That's right. But a lot of the subsequent publishings were in paperback. That's right. Gotcha. So, um, the. Uh, the 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 hard the yeah the, the hardcover is is um it's it's got an interesting little artwork on it it looks like trees I never really understood that when it came to the hideous strength that this has trees on it but <laughs> um, I, I like it because C.S. Lewis while he does have scope he always tries to bring something down to something specific. He gives mm. he gives objects, he gives people a decent amount of focus um, and, and attention. And so, um, yeah, definitely my top one. Excellent. Excellent. And with that, we'll go ahead and close our episode. Thank you for joining us here on the Christian Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Tune in next week for another fresh episode.